0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 436 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and Total Saddle Fit. Tonight, we are going to recap the dressage portion of the Retired Racehorse Project with Allison Willoughby. After that, we tackle the difficult topic of cancer with our friend Emily Craig Donaldson. And of course, we have a great Total Saddle Fit tip.
1: Stanfield from georgetown kentucky
0: and this is philip parks from rockwood ontario and you're listening to the dressage radio show
1: well hello phil how are you
0: i'm doing good how are you reese
1: i'm good i had kind of did a non-horsey thing today which was what, horsey what were you up to? to tell
0: us what you're up to you got <laughs> so such an exciting it? life
1: <laughs> well, I, it is It is a fun life. I am not going to lie. I, I am lucky that I get to do a lot of fun, different things. But uh, today I spent the afternoon. I actually rode, got up early and got the horses ridden and, and everybody here, we kind of pitched in uh, and I went to the Make-A-Wish Foundation day at the races. Um, which was really cool. We had 10 kids that we will grant their wish to go. Uh, Actually, there were several trips. One, the young lady I ended up meeting and spending some time with, she was going to Paris in May. One other gentleman was going to London. Lots of Disney Disney trips, uh, so mm-hmm. it was really cool. It was a really special day to to go and spend some time with a really fun organization. So, yes, it Where was, was a very, that? How
0: was that? A Keeneland track, or
1: it was at the Keeneland race co- racecourse nice. here, which is it's gorgeous beautiful. and very yeah. fun to go. and And, and we had lunch and, and got to spend some time with some families. And uh, and actually, I, like I said, it was kind of I've never been and stood in the paddock uh, and yeah. in the winter circle. So I, um, I walked with Jaden and. her family and and we walked down the tunnel and got to go right to the track and it was really cool like i it was kind of like wow i this is jaden's wish but this is really fun <laughs> to be a part of it so uh it Lovely. was really a fun a fun oh, afternoon great. so that was good got to got to oh, come out of the barn a little bit so that was fun and grant some grant some wishes and and make a day special for a couple families so it was a really fun time so yeah and uh, we're we're just busy getting ready for nationals here, and a lot of friends are calling me and and oh, I can't wait. it's gonna be quite quite a week, and we're gonna really all enjoy having everybody come into Lexington. So uh, mm. if anybody needs any help, give me a call. I'm happy to happy to help in any way I can. So good. yeah,
0: good. Well, so, we've got some administrative stuff to take yes. care of karen iceberg right after the show sent us an email and she was inaccurate in some of her information about the nutrition stuff that we wanted to clear up today she was really feeling bad about it but she said her brain went on temporary vacation because she told us and everyone that b pulp was high in phosphorus when it is actually very high in calcium in a ratio of 10 to one calcium to phosphorus so the recommended ratio of calcium to phosphorus in the diet is 2 to 1. This this ratio is very important, and if it gets too far out of whack, it can, can cause many problems, big problems. So uh, beet pulp is a great super fiber when used correctly, but if you are feeding over 3 pounds of beet pulp per day, check with your veterinarian or nutritionist about, about the best way to balance that phosphorus-calcium ratio. Um, so there i think we've kind of taken care of that and she feels terrible about it and we wanted to have her back on the show but she can come back on but uh she is great about her information and uh, i've it's awesome that when she you know gets it wrong she sends it you know send it right right to us and and hopefully you know can everybody can correct their notes if they're making notes about that uh talk we had with her last week
1: yeah. And we will have this, uh, we'll put the updated in our show notes. Uh, yeah. And if anybody has any questions, please feel free to, to chat us and we can, uh, you know, chat with us and we can send you that information. Thanks. It sounded good to me, but it was like, oh, that, that is something we got to correct. So, yeah. But, Phil, we actually have a really good show, and and, um, I hope everyone really enjoys the show today and or gets some really good information. Um, One of my students, Allie Willoughby, is going to come on and talk about uh, the Retired Racehorse Project, and uh, she's going to be our first guest. Well, tonight we are super excited to have Allison Willoughby on the show. Allie just won the Thoroughbred Retired Racehorse Dressage Division with about 100 horses. Allie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, we are super excited to hear. First, tell us a little bit about the Retired Racehorse Project in general. What, tell us a little um, bit about and how the dressage sort of comes in.
2: Yeah, well, it is just, it's a really cool kind of up and coming competition. I think this year was like their third year of running and, um, it's a trainer's competition, uh, which I think is really cool and unique. Um, something that I enjoyed and you're given like a limited amount of time to start your horse. At your horse. Um, there's a requirements on when your horse would have had to run the last, um, So it has to have actively been in training or ran races, um, within a certain period of time of the makeover and you're not allowed to start riding your horse, um, until December 1st of the year previous. Um, so it's kind of just a, who can prepare their horse the best, um, within a certain period of time, um, to the makeover.
1: Right. And so tell us about, uh, chapter two or you call them deuce, right?
2: Yes, yeah, his uh registered name is chapter two, um but we uh lovingly call him Deuce around the barn um he is a big um thoroughbred for you know his breeding and for all of that. He's about, um, at least 17 hands tall and he is very big. And, um, I got him from a friend of mine here in Lexington. I knew that I wanted to do the makeover this year. And I do have, um, friends within the racing industry and I, uh, harassed them quite a lot to help me find a horse. (laughs) And it took actually at least three months and I looked at a few, but I didn't Um, like them enough to take them and then finally uh, a friend of mine called me at six o'clock in the morning from the racetrack and was like I think I found your horse (laughs) and uh, I went um, to Keeneland that same day and they pulled out a giant almost black thoroughbred and all they did was actually walk him in a straight line for me and I said that I would take him. (laughs) (laughs) So for
0: anyone that's interested um, do you have the breeding details on this particular thoroughbred?
2: I do, yeah. He is um, by a stallion named More Than Ready, and he is out of a mare called Winds of March, and she is a Saddler's Wells mare. Um, I think she's got to be quite large because More Than Ready is not known to um, have big offspring, and he is, like, abnormally large for, like, coming from his daddy, supposedly, but his dam must be quite big. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: and so what was it about this particular thoroughbred that either, you know, caught your eye or was it the breeding or, or, you know, why after just walking him down the aisle, that can you say, you know, that you were going to take this guy?
2: Well, you know, you definitely get a good feeling. I like horses that are really, um, balanced uphill and, you know, he is definitely an uphill build type of a horse, which is always what I look for. Um, you know, he's pretty short coupled, which is also what I look for. And so just physically, he was my type and, um, just being big and, you know, pretty, I was like, okay, you know, even if he doesn't work for me long-term, like I can work with this, like, this is something that somebody else is going to want. Like, even if he wasn't going to be, you know, you don't know at that point, anything about personality or any, you know, any real details on the horse, but, you know, I physically, I was like, I can work with this in one way or the other. Like if I, like I said, if if he's not for me, I'll be able to easily find him a home for somebody else. And, um, I also really wanted to take him because, uh, I had a lot of things in common with him through people within the industry. And it was kind of important to me to take a horse to the makeover that I had like connections to. And, not just something random from somebody I've never met, you know, from the backside of a track and I would never hear from again, you know, because the makeover gets a lot of um, publicity and I just wanted um, to have the support, you know, from his previous connections going into the makeover. So I liked that aspect as well. And um, I just got a good feeling. So I said, okay. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, that's always the best. So tell us a little bit about what he was like to train for the last. When did you start training him exactly? And, and what was he like to train?
2: Yeah, Um. well, I got him and then I turned him out for eight weeks at least. It was definitely two solid months. And I pulled his shoes and then I brought him back into training probably like middle of March. And I just started him then. And I think I just got really lucky when it came to his training, because, you know, a lot of horses coming off the track, they can kind of have their limitations, whether it's physically or mentally. And he, um, was so easy. He's just the definition of genuine. He's a horse that puts a smile on your face every day because he tries so hard. He's very level headed. He's not hot at all, you know, which is why we could do so well in the dressage. He's very quiet for the most part. And, um, he was actually really lazy when I started him. He, he had no work done, you know, for eight weeks and I didn't even lunge him first. I just like popped on and I had to like pony club, kick him just to make him like walk and trot. We've gotten over that now. Now he kind of is in front of my leg, but for a long time, he was actually quite lazy. So Allie, tell us a little bit about
1: like when you guys got to the event, because I actually went over and there was a lot going on. So what was that like for you guys? (laughs) Like there was a lot going on.
2: Yeah, I was, I was actually, it was a lot. It was a lot. Like I was a little bit overwhelmed. I mean, I put everything to the side to compete. You know, I didn't, I was completely focused on competing my one horse. I couldn't imagine like trying to do much more than that, but Um, you know, the atmosphere wasn't anything that he wasn't already used to because I am lucky enough to be local. So he has competed in those exact dressage arenas previously, um, when we have evented, you know, at the horse park during the summer. So I think the overall atmosphere he was used to, um, that was only the second time actually stabling on site. I did decide to stable just because I knew that the schedule would be kind of chaotic and I didn't want to deal with, um, you know, being tied to the trailer all day. Um, but you know, it was actually really kind of rigorous on the horses. I I couldn't mm-hmm. imagine, you know, showing up with a horse that had any less experience. You know, I, lo- I know a lot of people come in with horses that hadn't, you know, done a lot or been a lot of places. And well, you know, it was also probably extra a lot because we did two disciplines, you know, the dressage day, you rode twice, you did a dressage test and then you do like a demo performance. and. um the next day, we did the eventing all in one day. So I went into the dressage arena for a third time. At that time, he was a little blase. He wasn't very excited to go back into the dressage Rings again. But uh, he always is, puts in a solid performance. I think he was just a little confused. <laughs> um, but uh, And then you do the show jumping, and then you do the eventing. And because I was lucky enough to then go on to the finale for both disciplines, he had to go... Um, into the eventing finale at nine o'clock in the morning. And then he had to go back in for the dressage finale. Um, So that was three days of multiple rides per day. And I did have two people try him as well because he's for sale. So it was, you know, he's gotten four days off because it was a lot of work. And I think by the end of it, even him, he's so level-headed and such a good um, genuine character. But I think by the end of the dressage finale, he had, had enough a little bit he needed a break <laughs>
0: that's understandable
2: <laughs>
1: so I love it so Allie what did you do in the finale right tell explain what the finale is because that's kind of yeah
2: yeah it's super cool they bring in the top five you know because like we said they the division is like 90 people you know I don't really know how they can judge that many people all against each other. You know, it's really tough. So they bring in the top five for a chance to add more points to your score. So you can actually overtake people or, you know, drop down just depending on how you do in the finale. It's another opportunity to get more points. Um, and the dressage, um, they did it kind of like the demo where they gave you four minutes and you could just do whatever you wanted um, for four minutes. And you got to even like pick a song. I made a big deal about what song I wanted to play, (laughs) but, um, you know, and you could just demonstrate whatever you wanted. And, um, I was actually really conservative with my horse all weekend. Um, I played it safe and I think it obviously benefited me a lot to kind of play it safe and kind of do what I knew, I was really good at, you know, I didn't push the envelope. I like I did zero lateral work like at all because it's kind of inconsistent. And they, you know, in the um, explanation of the event, they make a big point to say, you know, don't dive into things that are out of your reach, because if you do, you'll be penalized. Like if you ask your horse to do something that it's not prepared to do, you'll be penalized. And so I took that like really seriously. And so I just stayed very like simple and, I actually had like an entire plan and a big, you know, a big plan for what I was going to do with my demo, how it was going to start, what I was going to demonstrate. And uh, he kind of went into the arena and um, before my time had officially started, I wanted to pick up the canner before they rang the bell and started me and uh, picked up the canner and he uh, leaped straight into the air and kind of (laughs) bucked at the same time. And he has never done anything like that with me before. And I was like, oh, oh, no. Like, oh, no. You know, and I think that's what I mean when I just said he was over it. Like, he uh, he didn't really want to. He's a good guy. Like, you know, he still tried. But for a horse that has, is literally yeah, perfect, so perfect, amateur friendly. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's normally the easiest. I could put a child on him and, you know, trust him to the moon. So when he did that, I kind of panicked and i got super nervous and you're in front of all of these people that my plan just like totally went out the window window. and i just kind of trotted and cantered around randomly i felt like for four minutes and i actually walked out of the arena like fairly disappointed but um (laughs) I think because I played it safe, you know, my horse had all this tension, and so I simplified the plan immediately, and it just did a lot of changes of bend and direction, and um, luckily, he always does a really nice walk, even if he is, like, in an electric atmosphere, you can drop the reins and do a free walk on him, and he did that for me, which... It was nice to, like, collect my thoughts and be like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, it's just nice to be rewarded for some simplicity. I love it. So what's the plan with him next? What are you doing? Um, I don't really know. <laughs> it's been kind of a crazy summer, especially a really crazy September and, um, you know, he is for sale, you know, my end goal with all of my horses is to find them, you know, the perfect home. I'm definitely not in any hurry to sell him. I'd really enjoy competing him next season, um, and furthering his training and both the eventing and the dressage. But, you know, he can really, he can, he's really primed to go in any direction. I'd say his basics are really strong and, um, he's a beautiful horse that could really go go anywhere like I said but um yeah so you know he is for sale I'd like to eventually find him a home but if I still have him next season I'll enjoy moving him up the levels and you know I'm not I'm not in any hurry to sell him that's for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I bet not so how about yourself right you just started a business so how could people get a hold of you uh for training with their off the track thoroughbreds?
2: Yeah that would be great yep I uh finally branched out and you know, did away with my amateur status. And I was like, okay, you know, time to start making money and just put myself out there. And, um, I've enjoyed that so much so far. I love teaching the flat lessons. I, I always leave all my lessons feeling very like fulfilled and it just doesn't feel like work to me. I really enjoy helping people. And, um, yeah, I just, um I don't have a working website yet, but my cell phone or, you know, Facebook or any of those means I'm willing to travel and help people at their farms. And I definitely would say that the off the track thoroughbred has become like a, a niche for me, something that I'm really invested in. I like helping people with their, their thoroughbreds who are more than capable of doing great dressage. <laughs>
1: yes absolutely well Ali thanks so much for coming on and telling us about your time at the makeover and we wish you well on your new adventure
2: yes thank you so much I appreciate you having me and um yep I'm looking for my horse for next year and we'll be back with a vengeance for the for the makeover 2018 (laughs) I love it I love it can't wait to see cool thanks so much
3: the sun is just peeking above the tree line as you walk into the barn You grab your horse's halter off the hook and head out to the field. The dew shimmers in the sun as you walk across the damp grass. You call his name and his head comes up as he walks toward you, looking for the apple in your pocket. You take your time grooming, enjoying the peace and quiet in the empty barn. A refreshing breeze greets you as you start down the tree-lined path. Your horse ambles along on a loose rein as you both enjoy a relaxing ride. The feeling you get on an early morning hack is why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by MicroPhase. Fill the nutritional gaps in your horse's diet. Microphase Vitamin and Mineral Supplement is a low-calorie way to provide your horse with the vitamins and minerals missing from their diet. The horse that matters to you matters to us.
1: Well, tonight it really, truly is an honor to have our friend Emily Craig Donaldson on of Donaldson Dressage. And Emily, welcome to the show. You have quite a story, my friend.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's been
1: a- <laughs> crazy up and down year yes it sounds like it well well tell us your story i mean we uh you just wrote a great chronicle the horse blog um and you know we're friends and so we we knew what was going on a little bit but tell our listeners kind of what's been going on in your life uh
4: so i um found a lump back in the end of june early july and uh like most young horse trainers most young people um, (laughs) Uh, I was busy and kind of was procrastinating about having it checked out. Um, and uh, so finally did um, go to the doctor in early August and he confirmed that there was a second lump. And so they ordered a, um, this is my left breast. They ordered a mammogram and an ultrasound and um, they didn't like the look of what they saw in the ultrasound. So then I had to have uh, core biopsy done and um and then on august 17th uh the radiologist that did the biopsy gave me a call like close to six o'clock at night i was driving home from the barn and um broke the news that it was cancer and uh i had a feeling just gut feeling after the ultrasound that that it wasn't good um and obviously you play head games with yourself and you go back and forth thinking well you know it might just be a cyst because I had a cyst in my right breast. And um, so I was pretty religious about doing self-exams as a result. And uh, and so, you know, it's just, it's such a, place uh, plays with your head. Um, sure. So August 17th, found out pretty promptly. That was a Thursday, the following, I think it was the following Monday. I even met with my surgeon to be, I had a nurse, I have a nurse, Davingator that works for University of Pennsylvania, who, um, who's been, amazing throughout the whole process and scheduling my appointments and um moving things along and she and my surgeon both really seemed to get that i was um self-employed uh active and um had things to do (laughs) yeah so um, so they're (laughs) sort of listening yeah and i i was pretty obnoxious saying okay well my surgeon said she operates on mondays and fridays and i thought okay how about this Friday? <laughs> she said, no. I said, okay, the following Monday. No. So I'm like, okay, how about the following Friday? Yeah. And uh, so I got her to commit to September 1st, but I had to do, had to have a breast MRI done, blood work, chest x-ray, bone scan, genetic testing. There might've been one other thing. Um, so I had to get through all that stuff before they would commit to surgery. And obviously they don't want to put you in for a block of time and then only to find out that something came back on one of those tests, which would prevent you from, you know, having the surgery. So understandably, they, they don't want to lose the spot to somebody that, you know, isn't ready for surgery. So thankfully everything worked out. And um, I rode, I managed to get to the barn. I had to be at the hospital at eight 15 that Friday. And so um, I managed to get to the barn early and ride at least Audi my one FEI horse that was going Devon. And so I thought, well, at least something to do. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to eat, um, we had to fast. And, uh, so I got one ride in, spent two nights in the hospital and which actually, it's really weird to say this, but it was really, really pleasant and enjoyable. It was quiet because it was a holiday weekend. The nurses were amazing. And, um, so my husband got to stay with me there and, uh, that went smoothly and then discharged Sunday had two drains in, one on each side, because I had a bilateral mastectomy. Backtrack, I did the genetic testing, and I'd made the decision, mostly just for peace of mind, to take both breasts off. And as um, I thought, I don't want to go through life. If I have a long life, I don't want to go through it worrying about at breast. And uh, the day of the surgery, my doctor got the genetic testing back, confirming that I was positive for genetic mutations. So it basically just um, reinforced that my decision to do bilateral mastectomy made sense because she would have encouraged it anyway. So, you know, that's sort of neither neither here nor there at that point. And uh, so pathology showed she took out six lymph nodes, sentinel node test um, on the left side. Everything was clear. Lymph nodes were clear. So that was all good. Two tumors were not connected, but I did have DCAS, which is breast tissue that's, non-invasive cancer. Um, so the whole lower half of my breast was filled with DCIS. So it's sort of like a kind of a nasty playground. And uh, there were two t- two tumors, uh, invasive mammary carcinoma situated within the DCIS. So it was not a really happy place, <laughs> but, you know, everything was contained in the left breast. Um, the one tumor was close to the margin. So that's why I have to go through the radiation after I'm finished with chemo. I just had my first round of chemo yesterday. That'll go every two weeks. I do eight cycles, eight treatments um over a sixteen week period, assuming that, you know, there are no complications. But that's the plan. So pretty intense treatment yeah. um because it's such in a concentrated period of time. But you know, I got through the workday today, totally normal workday, and I just took took my time getting through horses. But I felt it's funny, it's sort of like when you have a cold and you exercise and you got get a little adrenaline rush and you're like I'm fine and yeah, then you totally fine. you stop exercising. and you're like oh I don't feel fine. That's so like, <laughs> not um, fine. That's sort of how I felt today. I was like oh I need to sit down. Uh, oh I need a nap. But yeah, but I yeah. got through it all and and uh, so that made me happy because I'm I just uh, I hate I hate being sick and I really don't like sitting around. So this to me is
1: an adjustment. <laughs> sure. Sure. So, I mean, what would your advice be? Because you're you're a young woman, and so what would your advice be to to everybody, to every woman out there? Self exams, or or how you know, give give some advice. Yeah, to- I, think,
4: I mean, I think that you know, it's it really is. A, I mean, I know you know, I've read stories, and I prior to my diagnosis, I was aware of the risk for breast cancer or other diseases, you know, at a younger age, and um. So my mom had breast cancer when she was 56, she had gone through menopause and then she had breast cancer. So a little bit of a different situation than what I'm dealing with. But, you know, I think self exams, I think taking care of yourself, you know, right now I feel like one thing, it's just interesting, the timing, sort of this like ebb and flow that happens right now. I'm being inundated with material from friends about diet nutrition and all the research that's going into um foods that either more i guess foods that can uh, some people say reverse cancer i don't i still have to read about that i don't know what to make of it but at least foods that are the best things you can you know put into your body um and then in comparison things that are really bad and i think like i've always lived a really healthy lifestyle i've always been really active and i I've, i eat well and I have no vices, you know. I don't crib. I don't kick. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, know, bucking. Like no
3: bucking.
1: No bucking. No rearing. You're, yeah,
4: you're a good you know, girl. Like I've do your job. Been doing everything right, and so it's <laughs> weird, you know, because you just yeah. sort of start to think, okay, what did I do to cause this? Because I was talking to my husband; he's a vet. But you know, I was saying, obviously, oh, a genetic mutation. But you say, okay, what? what sort of brought this to a head. And, and then you start to think, okay, is it is the it deodorant, you know, yeah, yeah. is it sure. the water I drink, you know, and it's just hard to sort of, to not read into all that stuff. And so I am going to see if I can, I'm going to educate myself now, educate myself about some of the information that's out there and, um, you know, and see if, if there's something I could do better, but I think really taking care of yourself going to your doctor, I think blood work, you know, I know we say this about our horses is just if, if there's something that's sort of not right, if you don't feel right, or, you know, it's like just do a, a CBC is like, just get some routine blood work done. And doctors can prescribe that if you, <laughs> what, the, what my doctor said once, was, um, have you felt tired in the last, you know, 60 days or something? I said, well, yeah, of course. And he said, okay, good. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's how they can get your blood work done wow. and have insurance covered, yeah. cover it. So, you know, I think just uh, keeping in touch with your doctors and, you know, you don't have to be neurotic about it, but, um, not letting things get away, get away from you. And also if something isn't right, you know, doing something about it, because I, you know, I, in hindsight I wish that I'd gone to the doctor sooner. I had an appointment, but I just sort of, you know, said, Oh, I don't have time for this. And it was a hot day, I had my dog in the car and I made an excuse and um, you know, and who's to say if it would have made a difference or not, you know, they caught it early. So, so yeah, I think um really paying attention to your body and not taking it for granted. And I I really have been since I moved to the area three years ago and my business has taken off, I've kind of been running myself a little bit ragged and it's a little bit who I am, but I've, I made me take a step back and think about what's important. And I'm still, you know, working seven days a week, but Mm -hmm. it in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, long-term, you know, who do I want to be? How do I want to live my life? What's important to me? And, and also not, not sort of ignoring stuff um, that needs to be addressed. So, it's definitely a wake up call, and uh, yeah, so I guess my advice would be to not think that this is something that happens when you're older. Mm-hmm. Its the sad reality is it you know it can happen to anyone, and unfortunately, more and more it seems to be coming up in with breast cancer you know in women that are younger and younger, and uh you know, who knows? I don't know um why there's a clear no clear answer, but just sort of accepting that and not living your life in fear, but being realistic about, you know, knowing your history, if you can do genetic testing, if there is a family history for something like ovarian or breast, looking into that. I know Shannon Duick was one that, um, when she, I read the article on massage day when she was diagnosed right at the same time that her mom and her aunt, I believe were diagnosed. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there was a clear family history. Um, I don't know if they knew that, you know, <laughs> prior to the fact that they all got diagnosed at the same time, but knowing knowing as much as you can about your, your family history, I think, is beneficial as well.
0: So, Emily, I just have a question about, you know, um, after first going in and going through this process, how did you kind of approach the riding, the teaching? I mean, you've been competing all summer. It's been very busy. How did you kind of manage those things? And did you find that that, you know, staying busy helped or did you take some extra time this summer to... To just take take a little extra rest,
4: yeah, so I pretty much going into the surgery surgery, I was trying to sit in everything I could and get all my ducks in a row. um I had the surgery, I was back to teaching surgery was on a Friday, I was back to teaching that Tuesday. I had oh. the drains out that Thursday, and then I was back to riding. I rode three horses Friday, Goodness. so, um, oh. so I didn't really miss a beat, and then that Saturday morning, I usually do the horses at about. I don't know, fifteen horses in my care. I took care of all the horses that Saturday morning and I was a little nervous about that, but that went fine. And after that I was kind of hit the ground running. I had a horse show, I had two shows that I had entered before all this stuff came up and um and I uh basically was <laughs> talking to my groom. I said, So, okay, you know, if surgery goes well and I have the drains out, I said I could still go to that show on I don't know. It was like September thirteenth or eleventh or something, and um, and my groom was just saying, "I can't believe we're having this conversation," you know. And uh, I thought, you know, I recognize that I can scratch, but it's really I hate scratching. I'm the type that if I sign up for something, I'm going to go. So uh, when I came, when I got, you know, was discharged and I was had just started back teaching, I just thought, "Gosh, I don't know that I'm going to be back to riding as soon as I." really had hoped, um, or expected. And I thought this might take a while, but it was weird how teaching just started to stimulate me. And then I felt totally normal. So I went to a one day show, local show with, um, Audi, the one horse I was getting ready for Devin. And, uh, and then that weekend I had two horses entered a show at Lockmoy. Just, we were going out for one day. And the reason for that show was that two of those horses, I wanted to get two more scores for Towards the year-end awards because I knew that they both could finish uh, pretty well in the country, and um, and so um, that was the reason I really wanted to do that show, and it worked out. The one horse, um, he's an Andalusian owned by a client of mine, Barb Ward, and he um, he ended up he's ranked number one last time I checked for wow. um, number one Andalusian in the country at training level. So you know I knew I wanted to do it for Barb, I wanted to do it for Bern, and I wanted to do it for myself just to so do <laughs> this horse. I thought he deserves it. And, um, if I can pull it off, then, you know, let's go for it. So that worked out the whole month of September. I was pretty much doing everything the way I had been doing it. Went to Devon, uh, which was a real test because I had, I had three horses entered in the breed show that Tuesday and Wednesday. And then I had one horse, Um, one of those breed show horses also doing the fei five-year-old test on thursday and then i had my horse audi in the cdi which was our first cdi both of us um, Mm -hmm. did our first cdi together and so we did the pre-st george and the i1 i was pretty much there from monday saturday and then i went back up sunday morning to see my stepdaughter do um a presentation (laughs) so i was there Mm -hmm. for the entire devon wow Um, and then we turned around and went the Wednesday after Devin and that went really well. And, um, and now we're going to go to Kentucky. Cause Fern won his training oh, level. Nice. Um, yeah. He won the training level championship. So Barb is great. His owner, um, throughout all of this, she's basically said if, you know, she's trusted me to sort of defer to me, if she thinks that I, you know, want to go for it and I feel up for it, she's willing to back me. And, I'm really, really lucky. And, you know, so far everything's worked out. And so the plan is to go to Kentucky. So we're just sorting out the details now. Um, that'll be after my third treatment. But, you know, I'll be like jacked up on steroids and anti medicine. So oh. I'll get through two tests and then oh. I
1: can just, you know. Leave that was relaxed. Relax. Weekend, so I'm not yes, too worried. Relax, <laughs> relax. Wow. So oh my goodness, girl. You're I mean really just such an impressive story. And and we're so thankful that you came on to the show to tell us about it. And um but we we also wanted to ask you how was Devin this year? What was it like to be there? We haven't talked about Devin at all, so we're gonna change gears a little bit. Uh
4: Devin was great. The weather was beautiful. It
1: was hot. But um,
4: as the show went on, it cooled off a little bit. It was, uh, it was a little bit of a quieter Devon, but still, it was really pleasant. Just the right number of horses in the breed show. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't sort of chaotic like it has been in years past where you have all these young horses running around loose. It was really, really, really nice. And uh, I think they do a great job with the, the arenas and managing the layout, you know, the constraints of the the grounds and making it work. Uh, vendors, I think, did really well. I had a um, sponsors there, and they were really pleased with business, so that was great. Made up for two years in a row of rain and cold. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so, yeah, my I had a three year old that ran in hand. I didn't run him. I had um, uh, High Point Hanoverians ran him. It's a three year old that I backed this summer. So, um, so that was his first show, and he handled it really well. And then I had a four-year-old that placed third. So Julian placed fifth in the in-hand class, so the three-year-old. And then I had a four-year-old, um, another client horse that was third in the um, under-saddle class. That was his second show. And then a five-year-old that went in the material. He was third in the material qualifier and then didn't place in the material championship. But he was really, really good. And then that same horse went in the FEI five-year-old test on Thursday. And he was six. And then my horse Audi jogged that Thursday and um, was in the pre-St. George and the i won. And he's, this has been his first year. He showed three pre-St. George's in 2016. Um, and then I bumped it back down to fourth level and he won at Devon last year at fourth level. And so this year we came out just showing FEI and he's, um, he's definitely uh, matured a lot. And so, made the plan of going to the CDI and, um, and he was great. He had the best test he's ever had at pre St. George on Friday, just doesn't, Is not quite at the point where he can really sort of present himself in a really powerful, um, uphill way. You know, he just struggles with that. And so it's, it's a work in progress, but it was his best test by far. No mistakes. And um, he got a 64, which I totally get. You know, I feel like when you are riding in front of the, the judges on the CDI panel, it's sort of like, I feel like you're starting with a zero and you're earning like every point <laughs> every you Every the point, yes, true. Totally yeah. well, <laughs> so well, I have to, I,
0: I have to like, shout out to our Canadians actually at the CDI yeah, there because yeah.
4: kick butt.
0: Yes. If Ashley Holzer was still showing for Canada, we would have swept <laughs> every single class.
4: I know, uh, I know. Yeah, the Canadians are amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. totally brought it. Um, and
0: Erin uh, Crawford, so, She, I think she won the six-year-olds in the CDI as well, right?
4: Yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, she, she won five-year-old and six-year-old, and then she had her Grand Prix horse, and she did really well. She had a great show um and uh she's on her way or she is in maine now she's riding the carl hester symposium yeah um with nice. the five-year-old that did really well at devon so
3: nice. um
4: well, yeah those darn canadians yes, um, I'm with you, girl. Were, <laughs> everywhere you looked you saw maple leaf like oh my gosh <laughs> what's wrong with the americans like the canadians are so good about being patriotic Amazing, and i i you thought be better. Well, you know we need to have little american flags on everything Agreed. and <laughs> you know um, be, be more proud. <laughs> oh, I, we're,
3: we're, I like it. We're used to
0: thinking. you guys doing that about everything else. So I think it's okay.
1: <laughs> that's oh, why we goodness. have to bring right. it
0: when we go to Devin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Well, we Emily, we can't thank you enough for coming on and chatting with us uh, just about your story. And we hope, um, you know, that that people really do their self exams and they really pay attention because you're a young woman and it happens and it's very very scary. We've also all have a couple other friends uh, that have been diagnosed this summer too. So we're really thankful you came on the show. And, uh, and anybody has any questions or want to find out about your training, how can they find you online? So I um, have a website, Emily Donaldson
4: and, um, have, I think a pretty decent, uh, social media presence, uh, via Facebook and Instagram. Um, so I try to keep those sites pretty well updated and then just recently started a blog for the Chronicle of the Horse and not, uh, I don't really have a clear idea about how, how frequently I'll be posting. Um, but I'm hoping to keep up, keep that up and, uh, find a way to continue to, um, to, interact with the public that way. Cause it first post totally um, knocked my socks off in the response. And um, so now I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's overwhelming, but I've really been blown away by the outpouring of support and just the dialogue that I now have with people that I never would have known before. So it's really cool. So it's opened a new door and I like writing, um, obviously I did, you know, a lot when I was younger. And so it's a good exercise for me, just something different from the right, mm-hmm. from the writing to, um, to sit down and write and try to articulate some thoughts. And, um, it's a good outlet. So, so those are some ways to connect with me. And, uh, yeah, I'm in Eastern Pennsylvania. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So as a result of the blog, I had people contact me through, through the Chronicle, they shared it on their Facebook page. And so that seems to be the, um, sort of the primary, um, wave of people for people to reach out to you. Um, so I had a lot of comments, uh, unbelievable number of comments and, um, and then a lot of friends sharing the blog. And then I had uh, so many people contact me directly, um, uh, with their own stories, um, advice and, um, and then also, people sharing websites and links to other articles that had been written. And um, I was familiar with a few, um, and sort of, you know, it's always hard whenever you're trying to sort of express a thought. And, you know, I was talking to Lawrence Pfizer about this. Uh, I said, so what's your blog advice? And you know, she was laughing. She just said, you know, it's you're you're going to have people you're going to, you know, upset people. It's just sort of inevitable inevitable. <laughs> and um, so it's just hard to not offend somebody. And so I know that there are some people that are like, Well, you know, I've had uh this project has been going on and you know, but for whatever reason I didn't know about it. And so now I do and that's that's sort of great because that's the point. And so, you know, I learned about all these other um people that have gone through this, um, some of them contacted me directly and we've maintained a dialogue and they've been giving me advice about, you know, going into your first treatment, what to do, what not to do, um, you know, how to handle things and, and then, and, you know, everybody's different in their body and how it responds to medication. Um, but, you know, people have given me, um, just some ideas about kind of the, the cycle that, you know, you might go through after treatment and it's been great. Um, it's, I tend to be a pretty kind of, I'd say in general, a little bit of a private person. Um, and so it's definitely kind of brought me out of my shell and, um, and I'm enjoying that and just kind of having a casual, um, casual dialogue with people. And, and that's been very, very nice. So uh, I'm thankful to the Chronicle and Lisa Slade who presented me with this opportunity because I think it's, I think a lot of good could come of it. And that's my hope um, is that if there, you know, I'm not, I don't want to sort of use this breast cancer diagnosis um, to uh, my, my goal is not to use it to <laughs> make myself into a celebrity. You know, that's not sort of my purpose my purpose is really to see if there's something I can do to help somebody else also at the same time, gain information for myself. So, which I am, but also if somebody else, you know, sort of, God forbid has to go through this, if there's something I can do to serve them and make their experience better or encourage somebody to, to go have that lump that they felt, you know, three weeks ago, go have it checked out. Then that's, that's, you know, that's something positive. Um Absolutely. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's been, a, it's just really cool to see how, you know, I think there's so much negativity these days. What made me really happy was that this post seemed to bring out the best in everyone and, um, in a really genuine, nice, kind, compassionate way It made me happy.
1: Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on our show. and uh, if anybody you. wants to to ta- chat more with you, they can they can find you online and And again, we really appreciate it. And we're gonna be rooting for you and Audi on every CDI we see you in for the next <laughs> ten thank years. You.
3: So forever. we can't wait yeah.
1: to, forever. We can't wait to. Well, I don't know if Aldi wants to do CDIs forever,
3: but Emily does. <laughs>
1: right, yeah, no. It's
4: like, ah, can we go back to training level? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Circle the diagonals. I like that. Yeah, so
1: That's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> well, Emily, thanks so much for your time tonight, and we can't wait to keep following you.
4: Thank you very much. It was great to talk to you both.
0: This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth, at totalsaddlefit.com.
1: Well, Phil and everybody, you know how much we love the shoulder relief girth, but... The synthetic shoulder relief girth is an awesome uh, way. I, I have them and use them actually. They're great. I have one horse that just it fits him super well. It's very affordable. It's antimicrobial. It's easy to clean. I think Justin did this girth just for me. Since
0: uh, <laughs> I think uh, it did happen after you told him that you, yeah. you <laughs> used the, the hose on on the leather girth. And I think you might have inspired this I think uh, inspired uh, the synthetic I inspired version. It.
1: Yes, but this one, the synthetic version, sits very this, the same way as the as the leather one, and it sits in the natural girth grooves, um, and it sets uh, set back to attach the billets further back and prevents the saddle from being pulled onto the shoulders. It even works on saddles, every saddle, um, and it simply corrects the physics on how the girth sits on the horse. So we really use this. It's great. It has a hundred percent wool fleece cover with it, um, so. We really, this is a great girth. It, again, the price point's uh, very, very affordable. Um, so you can get more information about it at totalsaddlefit.com. And as always, Justin is fantastic. Justin at Total Saddle Fit about answering any saddle fit questions. So he is great, and Philip and I both send questions to him. So I hope that everybody enjoys their synthetic girth or their shoulder relief girth. Um, and Phil, we've got an awesome listener question for this week's Total Saddle Fit Tip of the Week.
0: Yeah, kind of a, a simple tip, I think, that we can we can tackle today. Uh, we had a uh, a listener ask uh, when to introduce the whip uh, and or the spurs to their horse. I think we're dealing with somebody that has a little bit. Of, a, a horse that's a little bit on the lazy side okay. so you know when do you do it what, what what is your advice on the on the whip spurs question
1: yeah. So that's a really good question. And and I try on both instances to go to the least amount of spur possible. Um, because at some level, if you have a really lazy horse, that really lazy horse just needs to learn to get in front of your aides. So I'm not a big fan of putting huge, huge spurs and a big whip or double whips or, you know, I'm not a big fan on that. But there are times that you need them number one. Um, So when I'm talking to a student, uh, I want to make sure that they have um, their steady in their leg position. Uh, For example, I have a youngster that rides with me, and I'd love to give her a little spur, but I don't feel like she is coordinated quite yet. I'm hoping in a month or two, she'll be a little stronger, and her legs will be a little bit quieter. Um, And then the whip, um, I personally pretty much carry a whip all day long, um, on every horse. That's me. I, you're going to get 50 different opinions from 50 different trainers, but, um, I like the whip. If I have horses that are funny with the whip, um, I will still try to carry it. And because eventually they will get over it. Theoretically, uh, I've had a couple that don't, but you know, really, if you carry them, most of my horses have always gotten better, and you use it appropriately. So again, we're we're talking as an extension of your leg aids. Um, so I I pretty much carry it all day long. Um, I will put it down if necessary, um, and then again, spurs for myself. Uh, <laughs> I kind of get dressed in the morning in a very basic pair of spurs, and I pretty much stay in a basic pair of spurs all day long. Uh, again, I want to train my horses to be quite hot off my leg. So it's a very basic spur. So that's me. How about you, Phil?
0: Well, um, I like to introduce, uh, you know, so I start, you know, when I start my young guys, the three-year-olds, um, I like to introduce uh, a a short whip, like a, um, a jumper crop or bat, I don't know, you know, different, Mm -hmm. different versions of what people call it. But, um, you know, I kind of have it around them when I tack them up to make sure they really get used to it. And then, um, you know, as soon as I start riding them, I ride them as part of an extension of myself, um, to have that short little whip, uh, with me so that if I, when you're teaching them to go forward, um, a lot of horses don't understand it and they can be encouraged with a little tap. I like to hold the reins and I I don't like to smack a a young horse on the butt because normally you're going to get, some, yeah. uh, some but, buck reaction, but I like to use it as an encouragement tool to help in a few things. Uh, one, to help them, you know, to understand the leg, to go forward, um, again, on the shoulder, and also to kind of understanding a little bit steering, you know, to kind of help push their shoulders around a little bit sometimes. So they're introduced to the idea of having the rider holding a whip very early on and on using little taps with the whip very early on. And then usually uh, when I come back to them as four-year-olds, then they get introduced to the long whip, kind of in the same way. You know, I carry around, I touch them on the butt when I'm grooming or whatever, that they don't get scared of it. And then, you know, 99% of the time, then it's just, it's easy, you know, because I don't like to kick because once you start kicking, you got nowhere to go. And the other problem is that it really affects a rider's position to be having to give those kind of, Big co- pony club kicks that you have to give sometimes when when the horse decides he's done working or he doesn't want to go forward or he doesn't want to go past something that's scary. You need, just need the whip as not a punishment tool but as an encouragement tool to kind of get them to listen a little bit. So I, I think there's no problem in in carrying a whip. Um, you know, it's just part of the equipment and uh, and carrying a whip all the time. And, and I mean, if if you don't need it, you don't use it. It just kind of sits there. It, it's part of the rider. The horse doesn't care. So um, I really think that all horses should be kind of, you know, taught to accept the whip a little bit and and, and to be ridden with it. So I think that's part of the education. Uh, spurs depends on the horse. I, I would say on the average horse uh, in their four-year-old year, when we start doing a little bit of the more bending or lateral work where the horse has to understand that the leg is not just a forward tool, but also a lateral tool, then a spur can help the horse to to differentiate, differentiate between, is this a forward leg or is this a little bit of a bending leg? And so again, just a very small spur, something simple. And then you know that they are used to that, and they can be ridden with that or not with that. Some days I'll you know I might take them off for a couple of weeks just to help mm-hmm. uh, just to assess the horse a little bit and say, "You know, am I using too much spur?" You know, so I take it off and I ride without, and then I ride with, and you know, whatever. But again, it's just is part of the equipment. Um, I think, as we know when the horse goes to an feI competition that the spur is mandatory. So I think we're always sort of developing towards that idea. Uh, because you don't want a seven-year-old horse that you're going to now be introducing new tools on. I think that's part of that can cause a problem, you know. So, you know, being used to all of the stuff when they're early on and, and just being careful about how you apply it and to constantly assess your position and how you're using these things is very important. And and it's, it's not a problem. So, you know, I, I think... You want to fix a problem with a really small aid, rather than, like I said, than having to do a big, a big kick all the time or, or even intermittently. It's kind of throws everybody out of balance and it's not yeah. effective. So, these little tools can help when, when used properly. Uh, but yeah. That's how I, that's how I approach it. I think that's sort of explains our philosophy behind it.
1: And yeah, I hope that answers your question for sure. And good luck with it for, for sure. Well, Phil, as always, we love email and Facebook shout outs. It's our favorite and uh, we're working our way down the <laughs> queue uh, of questions, uh, but keep them coming. Cause we like having a long queue of those. Those are fantastic.
0: I think um, we've, I think we've got to do another episode uh, maybe next week or the week after look, look for an announcement because we're going to need new guests
3: <laughs> um,
0: for our, our monthly segment about, uh, question and answer series we're going to try and do so look for a notice about that and send us a message we want to answer and help with your training questions and problems i think that's a lot of fun we've really enjoyed the the first two uh installments of that series so uh we're going to keep it going
1: keep coming i love it well as always you can find our show notes and links to today's guest on our website dressage com. like us on facebook just search dressage radio show Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com.
0: I think the best way to find me is on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a good show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com.
1: Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we'll talk to you next week.